welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, ladies. Welcome to Spice Bags. And I have not seen either of the two of you for ages. And we are here to talk about tea. And one of the things that I really need to bring up is that Dee Laffin has confessed to me that she not only grew up with hot tea, but pretty much hot everything. Dee, do you want to talk about your hot Rabina and your hot Weedabix? <laughs> oh my God, you're starting me off my first episode with my embarrassing secrets. Let's see the way this is going to go. Let's see the way this is going to go. Well, I mean, actually, it was kind of when I was thinking about Irish tea, it, you know, one part of the culture of tea in Ireland is that it, and the reason, you know, it's so popular here and actually, you know, we're the heaviest consumers of it in the world per capita. Um, the average Irish person apparently drinks four to six cups per day. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that, especially right now, I can see already my consumption of tea has gone up because I love a hot drink in my hands right now when it's getting a bit chillier, a bit colder. And I think that's where what you're talking about is. So when I was growing up in Tipperary, my dad, um, and sorry, dad, if you're listening to this, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know there was, not that there was anything wrong with it at the time, but when I found out, um, so basically my dad would always make me hot Ribena. Um, and I had never known that you would drink Ribena cold. <laughs> so every time, you know, he would just put boiling hot water into the Ribena concentrate to make it for me. And it was this delicious. Blanca's face, by the yeah, way. Is yeah, if only right we now. could. I'll try to take a photo. But you know, if only we could, um, you know, it was it was it just this beautiful, hot blackcurrant drink. Um, and I never thought any different. And one time I was at a sleepover in my friend's house and her mom um, gave me a cold Ribena. You know, she asked, did we, mm. do, do, did we want Ribena? And of course, this is before everyone found out that Ribena was literally like just sugar and stopped giving it to kids. But um, but basically, yeah, anyway, she she served up the Ribena. We were all sitting waiting and I was like, what? Like, what is this? What is this muck that you're giving me? <laughs> I was just so disgraced. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you guys are so poor. I mean, you can't even afford to heat the water to like have hot Ribena. I thought I didn't know what, you know what I mean? In my head, I was trying to think, God, you guys have it bad. Your mom gives you cold Ribena. And then no one else knew what I was talking about. But also, I think that too, and you know, we will probably always come back to this. And again, apologies, Dee's dad. Um, but <laughs> that, you know, that he was always trying to keep you warm. So yes. even Weedabix was with hot milk over yep. it. And then he would always make sure that you had two layers of underwear. Okay, that's going yeah. a bit far, May. But know. yes, I wasn't about to <laughs> broadcast that. But um, yeah, so it was all about keeping warm in the winter. Yep. And my dad awesome. brought me up. It was just the two of us at home. And yes, he um, he double bagged me going to school, if that's what you want to call it. Double knickers to make sure that I didn't get a kidney infection. That was always the fear. And um, yeah, hot, hot Weedabix, hot Ribena, hot drinks always. I mean, everything... You know, we didn't have a lot of cold food in winter. Um, definitely all our meals were were hot, you know, okay. um, breakfast, lunch, like soups, stews, casseroles. I'm sure there's a lot of Irish people exactly the same. And look, it's a way to just keep ourselves warm and nourished throughout the winter. But it was only, you know, as I got older and kind of realized that 
you know, people do have cold food in winter. But um, and that's actually one of the things I think that grew that they say when I was reading about the culture of Irish tea, that actually that is one of the reasons it's so popular here in particular in winter is that it warms your hands. And, you know, a lot of people, there's this saying that Irish people will say there's no problem that a cup of tea can't solve. You know, like if you're having a bad day, if you've got a headache, if you're just feeling a bit bit under the weather, make yourself a hot tea. And also it's part of even when you go to someone's house, it's literally, a, it's an icebreaker. It's the first thing you'll be asked. I know famously, obviously, um, taking the piss out of in Mrs. Doyle, with Mrs. Doyle and Father Ted, but like you will be offered one cup of tea and it's kind of almost seen like as a impolite to turn that tea down. Um, so, you know, you will be asked numerous times and if you finish one cup, you know, there's a, there's a pot to refill. So I think it is very very much part of our breaking bread, very much part of our how to get to know someone is to have a cup of tea with them. I have a question about tea. I am a big, big lover of tea. Um, but I'm surprised in Ireland there's not more tea houses. It's, it mm-hmm. seems that even though people this is drink tea at home, they don't really drink tea outside the home. Why do you think that is? I mean, you, any of you, what do you think? is well, happening here. One thing I know that um, when tea first came to Ireland, which arrived in Ireland in about the 1800s, um, it obviously was a luxury product. It was imported from, say, India or China initially. Um, later, it, it was Kenya, those kind of places um, that became more familiar. But when it was first imported, it was a luxury product. So actually only really um, wealthy people, upper class, were actually able to afford to enjoy the good tea. And everybody else, the quality of tea that was actually available in Ireland then was actually quite poor. It was like a cheap, the cheaper version of it. And so that's why Irish people started to add a lot of milk um, to the tea and, oh, okay. and, and up to, they say, like, you know, some people like my brother. And sorry, I'm just like basically naming my whole, shaming my whole family. But <laughs> my brother, you know, I always ask him, I'm like, do you like tea with your milk? You know, because he puts so much milk into it. And I just to say there was some tea houses or so the upper class started having tea parties you know they would have because it was a luxury thing and then some tea houses did form but then they just seemed to die off and I don't know if it was because literally to do with a wealth thing like to do with that you know there was a cheaper tea out there and it wasn't really enjoyed as much until the 60s when the Irish tea companies cut out the middleman and set up you know Mm. they started importing properly themselves. Yeah no I was going to say that for me that was the really interesting thing to uh, about the story of Irish tea and again it's you know um, cobbled together. Um, but what I understood was that 75% of Irish tea dried up during World War II because we were that Ireland was getting it from the UK. And then the Irish, I think it's, what is it, tea importers? Mm-hmm. Uh, lemonade or something? They start going to India. And then they realize that India is actually too weak, like the Assam blend. And so, and then therefore, like, they start to go to Rwanda and Kenya. Yes. And therefore, the Irish tea is really distinct from UK tea. And I just, I always, I think that's fascinating. I think when you're um, abroad in particular as an Irish person, we always talk about this. I mean, again, I'm naming my family. I can't believe this. My other brother lives in Berlin and we send him um, Barry's tea out to him. He always says, please stop sending me so much. I have so much now that I can, you know, it'll do me for so long. But it's the one thing you miss when you go. Well, not the one thing. There's lots of different, obviously. Potatoes. Butter, you know, well, lots of different things that you couldn't get, especially yeah. years ago. Now you can get a lot of things. But like before, it was one of the things. And I definitely noticed, and maybe you could answer this, um, Blanca, but uh, about when you go to Spain on holidays, you know, you would get the English 
the only Irish breakfast tea or anything close to it was uh, Teffel or some one of those kind of mm. English brands of tea. And they just were so weak and they're just not the same. And then obviously you had to deal with if you took milk in your tea, you obviously couldn't get it was UHT milk or that kind of yeah, powdered yeah. milk. So, you, so it was just like not a good experience. For yeah, my Irish dad person. drinks Barry's tea. Um, really? So I think Barry's tea in terms of quality, at least of the teas that I've tasted, it's the highest quality. It's a little bit too strong, so I don't brew it for too long. But in Spain, they have these Lipton teas that have no flavor. But the reality is Spain was never a tea drinker, tea drinking country. So this Scottish botanist by the name of Robert Fortune in 1848 disguises himself as a Chinese merchant. And he basically goes to a lot of different places in China where also, again, rebellions are happening because of the Opium War. And he smuggles tea plants and also tea growers and brings them to India and gets them to produce tea there. And that's sort of how England was able to almost steal the um, idea of tea production and tea plants. Mm. Uh, and But I just love, like, I mean, maybe love is not the, but this Scottish <laughs> botanist, like he shaved his head, he wore like Chinese clothing and just you know, lurking around China being like, I need, I need your tea. Um, and I just, I don't know, that blew my yeah. mind. And it's funny because in, in England, when you go there, um, I'm not sure if it's throughout the whole of Great Britain, but definitely I've spent a lot of time in England and there's some beautiful tea rooms. And I just love that you can go to them. Um, across the country and just enjoy, you know, tea and cake and that whole thing. And I and in China as well, in China as in the the cups, you know, made from China. Like I, I in Ireland, we don't have that ceremony around tea. I think that's and maybe one of you could speak to me about. I that. really want Blanca to well, talk. First about of this. all, the, I lived in China for two years, and one of the reasons I wanted to live in China was because of tea and because of food. But the culture of tea in China. Wait, sorry, tea. you moved there because of tea. Well, I moved there. I wanted to move to, our, like, my husband got an opportunity to work in China. And Amazing. when he told me, he said, of course, you're going to say no. And I said, no, yes, I want to go. I've always loved tea. And I've always been, like, a student of tea. I started off by drinking vanilla-flavored tea from Twining. So not a very wow. glamorous start. But uh, when I moved to China, with you know, China is culturally the home of tea. Tea originated in Yunnan. What I couldn't believe was how... Um, diverse tea ceremonies are and how um, the experience of tea, I don't know, if you grab in Ireland, yeah, of course you can have a glamorous teapot and teacups, but in China it's it's become once again mm. a sign of um, money and good education to be knowledgeable about tea. So when you go into a shop, first of all, the prices are insane. So everything costs thousands of euro, the teapots, the gingergen porcelain. Gingergen is the region that makes this porcelain. And then the tea itself. They also have, you know, lower end shops. But tea is an experience. Shopping is an experience. It's like going on for couture dress mm -hmm. where you go and you try it on and they fix it for you. So people bring their own cups. Really fancy people have a little bag with their cup and they bring it and they test the teas and they, de they decide what to buy. And that just blew my mind away because that had disappeared after the Cultural Revolution. Yeah. But what I wanted to ask May, because, you know, I just got hooked on that whole glamorous experience of spending money on teapots. I have 
so many of them. It's crazy. I should open a tea shop. But um, how was it for you growing up as a Chinese American? Did you have tea in your house? Did you have my my father? So I have a father and a stepfather. My father was allergic to spending money. Um, so uh, when my mother married my stepfather, she became addicted to um, this dongding tea, which is grown in the mountains of Taiwan. Um, it's not outrageously expensive, but it's, you know, like 200, 300, I think, probably a pound. Or, you know, so that's what she drinks. Um, and But then this idea, as you were talking about, of ceremony, this is not something that I grew up with. Um, but then I'm, you know, my Jewish friend who spent three years in Yunnan, she'll take me to a tea house. I feel like such a klutz and she's got the teapots out and the water and, you know, and she's flushing, like she's making the teapot hot. And I have no clue about that. But I think that's very much being Chinese American. And, and yeah, and for me, tea was something, I didn't love Chinese tea. So tea was always something that, you know, was tea bag, milk, sugar. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to clarify the difference between Chinese and Asian tea making is that a lot of the teas get steeped several times, so you use very small cups. So there's no warming your hands with your teacup like we would do in the West because the teacups are really, really small. They look yes. like a doll set. So that steeping is completely different. And some people hate it. I think it's it's just you need time to enjoy good Chinese tea. You need time, and, uh, you know, we're very pressed for time these days. But also, ironically, right, when sometimes when you're drinking, because tea drinking is something that happens in hot countries, and the reason why you drink it in hot countries is to sort of break a sweat. It cools you down in the same way that it warms, you know, in that very different way that it warms you up here. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. In Morocco, tea is so big, and then in Spain, I, I guess that... <laughs> We drink coffee as a shot to wake us up. Like a really, we drink the the torrefacto coffee, which is roasted with sugar, so it's really strong. Mm. I don't really love that type of coffee. Morocco is the biggest importer of Chinese tea, and Blanca, you might remember this. Um, I don't know. I, I think you were observing this much more, but um, this Moroccan chef made a mint tea for us, and I think you were paying much more attention. But I remember that he actually put. Did he put camphor? Camphor and oolong. I don't remember if it was oolong, tea. but it could have been also a green tea, like gum powder. Gum powder. It was definitely a Chinese tea with the mint leaves. And, yeah, right. Camphor. And camphor, which was... But yeah, the, if you've been to Morocco, just the whole ceremony of tea in Morocco is also very interesting. It's not a ceremony like in China, but yeah. it's still very glamorous. And people... I have a Moroccan friend, uh, Maria, who told me that people will save so much money for their glass cups that they're going to use for the tea. They're, they're, they're beautiful, like, engraved glasses, and they'll mm. buy them from Paris, and it's part of your dowry. So also Morocco would be a, a country where tea is very important. Also Turkey, and I was in Istanbul in February. I absolutely fell in love with Turkish tea. It's so nice. And again, they have it, and they would be a big consumer of tea, and they would have it in the morning. Now, they also have, obviously, Turkish coffee is really famous, but um, they would have Turkish tea in small little glass shots almost, and with, with handles on them. But instead of giving, like, in Ireland, I suppose, like a lot of things, big portions, we have big pots of tea. It's put in, it's brewed and put in the middle 
with a, a tea warmer on it or a cozy warmer on it to keep the pot hot and you just pour from that. In Turkey, in Istanbul, you just like you get your little shot of tea and then you order another one and then you order another one and then you order another one. It's just but they might have five or six from from what I experienced having Turkish tea or breakfast. Um, that's the way they do it. But I absolutely loved it. I brought some home with me and I actually still buy some in the Isla on um, Capel Street. I really love Turkish tea. It's lovely. It's a little bit lighter. And do they do they eat a lot of things with it? Sweets, like yes. I, yeah. I've yeah. never been to Turkey, so they yeah. The Turkish breakfast is quite big, and they would have a mix of um, yeah sweets, and you know they would have um, like the kind of breads with uh, with hazelnut spreads or honey and labna, this kind of thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Loads of those spreads, so they definitely have it with sweet. What is Dublin? We have to explain what Dublin is. The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler Mm -hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... um, world see the see the world around them is that it is I think that a good it. explanation well, of that's it? a very good explanation uh, you can listen on Spotify you can listen on iTunes you can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network we're on the Headstuff Podcast Network Dublin Podcast up your ear I mean something that I again always find interesting is that one of the reasons why tea became so popular in England was because water is unsafe to drink right so in China you okay. were either drinking wine and tea And in England, it was beer or tea. And so when there was a temperance movement in England, then like, then tea becomes incredibly popular. Um, And, um, but in China, if you sort of, again, like you're switching between wine and tea. So um, there's a book, beautiful book called Daily Life in in China and the Eve of the Mongol Invasion. And he's describing this daily life. And you're like, oh, everybody is just slightly buzzed. Yeah. All the time. Everybody is slightly intoxicated. And so I wanted to ask you guys, do you remember the first time you drank a cup of tea? Like, is there an an age? Like, are you four? Are you 10? Are you... I would I, say teenager. Yeah, I I would say... I don't think I had... Because obviously I had my hot Ribena. So I had no, <laughs> in, <laughs> no interest in... Um, I had no interest in tea until... Yeah, I would say probably about 12, 13, maybe. Actually, I see it with my own nephews. I mean, you know, they didn't start drinking tea until, you know, about that age, early teenagers. And I suppose there's a thing from a parental perspective of obviously tea has caffeine in it. So you don't really want kids to start on it. So in tea. Ireland, my daughters always want to drink tea and coffee. Um, so I give them something we make in Spain, which is hot milk with a drop of coffee and it's called stained milk. But is there something similar in Ireland for children or children? I'm just don't trying drink to think tea? of the name of it. I've seen it on menus, but they called it like a, Kidachino or oh, prob- yeah, what's yeah. It called? baby chino, baby chinos. But is there something with tea? So would you, as Kid-a-chino. a as a little girl, would you have had tea in your house? No. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but weaker or? Um. I mean, we. Yeah. I mean, it depended. I think it was just whatever way people made it. We never had tea leaves. We always had tea bags. That's one thing I think as well that's different from England. Um, I still think most Irish people drink their tea in bags. I don't think yeah. a lot of people make it from leaves. Yeah. And um, it's, can I say something? It is, the the leaves are just so interesting, the way they're processed in different ways. So when you steep them, they look different and yeah. they have different shapes. And I really wish people would drink 
more loose leaf tea also mm. because it's you know it, the more money goes to the yeah. to the people growing it there's a fascinating shop in london called postcard teas i want to move to that uh, to the upper part of the shop it's owned by <laughs> um this guy called timothy dofay who is very one of the most knowledgeable people about tea and he only imports tea from very small individually owned farms all over the world and his shop is it's it's very asian so the prices are also <laughs> mind blowing you yeah. think what job do i have to get to buy this teapot um but it's definitely worth a de- a detour and his shop it's called postcard teas because they have these teas that come in this postcard that you can send to friends so that it started off um by being you know a nice gesture of sending people a little postcard tea and then it's called like that. That's But nice. he's this shop is probably the most interesting shop. There's a lot in London. I was going to ask actually kind of off what you were just saying. Um does anyone have any comments on sort of the ethical production of tea because there are some horrifying stories, you mm-hmm. know, obviously of especially sort of girl trafficking and you know and um and terrible conditions and you know where where does our tea come from? Like is that is that something that either of you really looked into or well there's there's a lot of i think in the same as coffee that there's a lot of questions about where the tea comes from or where the coffee comes from there's been a lot of exposés in the media about you know things using child labor it's a very complex issue and that's why i love the concept of this shop in london that you know you can get stuff online is that he there's no middleman he just goes directly to the source and this helps the communities much more. So I do think when I'm buying, especially if I'm going to spend a lot of money in my tea. I don't like if I'm buying berries, I I'll be honest, if I'm in Tesco and I get berries, I'm not thinking, but I should. We should think and question and I'm sure I ha- I've never um talked to the people who produce berries, but I'm sure there's some management of where yeah. the tea comes from. I would say that there I I have never had a really had a conversation with anyone in the same way i have had about coffee or i've heard it spoken about coffee about tea um but uh, and and it's sourced and and making sure it's from a good source but i think that's because i mean let's face it in ireland the the market is kind of held by two brands lions and barries i mean in most households obviously there are lots other smaller producers of tea and i'd like to mention a few of those but i think that um you know and and i think there's that kind of trusted sources. I mean, I think people think that Lions and and Barry's that there's a there's just no question that they wouldn't source it from, you know, anywhere ethically. So, I feel like because those brands have been around for so long, that's why it's not a discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh there's the uh, another thing in Dublin, I think that another brand that people would associate with tea and obviously it's been in the news more recently is Bewley's yeah. because Bewley's on Grafton Street would have been a place where people would have gone very much as a tea house um initially more so than coffee i think that is a proper that is that sort of proper old fashioned mm-hmm. tea slash coffee house yeah. you know um i remember the old Bewley's i mean you know before it was done up which is beautiful it was beautifully done up recently but before that like years ago you would go in and it was all red velvet couches down the back and you would sit and meet somebody after you did shopping and it was I mean that's why there's such a grow for for it and you know um for the place it's such a landmark on Grafton Street but 
they were seen as they were seen as a major tea house in the city that people go. And I mean, they still are probably one of the bigger importers in Ireland of tea as well and coffee now. Um, another another brand that I love is Suki Tea from Northern Ireland from Belfast. Um, beautiful teas um, and blends, and they have a gorgeous Belfast breakfast tea, which is again different to Irish, you know, Republic of Ireland breakfast tea. Um, there's a specific Belfast blend, which is really interesting if anyone can get their hands on it. Um, Nick's tea is another artisanal small Irish blends of teas is really nice. And also uh, herbal teas, not just um, uh, black tea. Um, Solaris Tea House is quite well known. And McEntee's um, is another one um, that I've, you know, is quite popular. But one that has won some awards and I know is available in Lidl is Fallon's. That's their, that's their kind of main brand. Of Fallon tea. and Burns. No, Fallon no, it's in, it's, no, it's Fallon's is the name of the mm. tea and it's available in Lidl and it's actually won, I think, um, in Blossom Heron before the National Irish Food and Drink Awards. Um, but it's actually really great tea, but because it's not as, you know, it's 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 Lidl's brand of tea that they promote, even though they have others. But it's another great tea. I think it's just that we're in Ireland and maybe it's in every country. You know, you get attached to maybe two or three brands own the market for so long and you just grow up with those. And there's a nostalgic attachment to brands with whether it's a drink or a food or something like that. But there are actually other great producers out there. And I think people, you know, like in Dublin, also Wall and Clo Wall and Kyo and Clement and Pico kind of really brought back tea tea houses when kind of coffee started to um coffee shops started to open up around the city as well. So there's that kind of look more more I don't say luxury because it's not luxury, but definitely um higher quality higher quality tea. Favorite tea experience in the world, favorite place in the world for tea? I feel like we touched well, on it a little bit. I, I, I love China, but before I went to China, I went, you know, I lived in London. And to me, Claridge's hotel tea experience, any tea, any hotel that does the tea experience mm -hmm. is amazing. And if, um, if you go to Claridge's or if you've been to Claridge's, the experience from the crockery, which is that light green and the trays where they serve and the teas, but Funnily enough, every time I go to a place like that, I would always order Lapsan Sushang, which is a smoked tea, which is it's not very popular in China. It's yeah. kind of a European thing, but I love that combination. And also Claridge's used to do um, a jam that was from Mariage Frère, the famous shop in Paris, which is the Marco Polo jelly. So to me, Claridge's would be one of the top experiences for tea and food because I like tea and food yeah. combined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also just to say on that, I kind of always drink tea with food almost, you know, rather than just I sometimes do have tea on its own, but I love it with I think that's like with a biscuit or a cake or something. That's where, you know, you have to be careful with that. But <laughs> eating loads of cake when you have tea or using it as an excuse to have a cake, you know, I find that it's almost an Irish, it's an Irish, not, not solely Irish thing. But for instance, Tommy, my husband will never drink coffee and eat food. That's He'll definitely me. I cannot drink coffee and, and eat food. That's how I grew up was always, you know, coffee or a cake and coffee and a biscuit or something like that. And he can't no. bear it. But I can't eat a sandwich without a cup of tea. Okay. 
That's really interesting. Yeah, I think in China they have tea with different sweets. Yeah. They have the um, hibiscus candied, or they have sunflower seeds. So there's always something. But you know, apart from Canton, like Guangdong, where they would have tea with food, tea is kind of like friends get together and they do the multiple steepings and have food. Mm. Um, but any other experiences? May tell us like your favorite tea experience where. Honestly, it's really similar to yours, is because when it's I was hotels. You know, it, no, it is. It's hotels. It's it's you know being seventeen years old and having a tea at Fortnum and Mason's, mm. and that was you know, and that just back in the time and just and just again the elaborateness of the service and being seventeen and you know and just just I love I still love like roast beef sandwich like the roast beef sandwiches on that soft bread and a little bit of horseradish and cress and yeah. Um, it's Fortnum. Nice. I have actually just three to mention, and it seems like I'm being, but they're very different. Definitely in Dublin, I think the Shelburne do tea absolutely amazing. Like that for the same experiences that you're saying. The afternoon tea is absolutely beautiful. The There's, champagne one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can add a bit of champagne. But no, but even just the tea, it's it's just absolutely, it's just a, they make the whole experience for the same reason that we're talking about that hotel luxury tea experience and afternoon tea with the the, the tiered uh, sandwiches and cakes and scones and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, another two that I remember, one was... Um, I actually was on the Orient Express and I had, oh, yeah, nice. I know, like years ago um, and I had tea on that and it was all oh, wow. all the most amazing silverware. Um, actually, it's the same as they do silverware in the, in the Shelburne as well. But, you know, that kind of really just you're on a train and you've been served luxury kind of tea. It just felt it added to the whole vibe of of that kind of thing of making but then it made tea this luxury thing whereas my last experience that I wanted to mention was in Nepal when I trekked up to Everest um we had this N Nepali milk tea um and I mean you'd be giving that you know after you've just trekked all day and you're tired and you have a shower and you're 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 in these tea lodges and you just everybody sits around and you share this tea and it's just the most with with the locals and pe maybe people who own the tea lodge and it's just the most beautiful experience and um, completely different taste, but just absolutely fantastic. I think like that will that as an experience for me, I'll just never forget that tea. I brought some home with me. I love it. This is going to sound a little ignorant, but um, I know some t um, some of my family's from around that area mm -hmm. is we um, put salt in the tea. Was that did you ever come across oh, that in no. Nepal? I didn't okay. see anyone do that, but maybe the locals did and we didn't they didn't say it to us, but we just had it. Just normal. I mean, we didn't have it without salt, but I didn't experience that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say about, about, again, probably everything from Nepal to the Orient Express to um, to Claridge's, uh, is that the great thing about tea, I think it's, um, Blanca, you have two daughters, but I just think that it's one of these things that children actually truly enjoy. My daughters have a plastic tea set that will never be thrown out. They're going to be 80 and still use it. It is funny that kids have those tea sets and you have like tea with your dolls or whatever when you're a kid is, and, and you kind of... But they don't have coffee, the dolls. Isn't that interesting? No. Or like the teddy bear's picnic. Yeah. Did they serve coffee at the teddy bear's no, picnic? No, it's it always tea. tea, right? It's wonder where that tea. comes from. I think it comes from marketing, though, doesn't it? It, come, it must come from advertising. Or kind of. But you always think, like, for, again, you're the mom here, but I always think that, like, sort of what grown-ups consider a great experience and kids consider a great experience are often just totally divergent. 
And I just think that tea is one of those weird things in where everyone is having a good time. I think the crockery, because if you think about it, the the whole crockery of tea, which comes from China, the teapots were invented in China a long time ago. I think just the concept of a teapot and the milk and the cups, I don't know, it's something, and you read a lot about it in children's mm-hmm. books. They always have tea. I think that, yeah, coffee is something that, I have a friend. Literature. I have a friend in England, um, and she's such a that tip, stereotypical kind of English lady. But she, I never forget. I went to her house, and I was staying with her for a weekend. And I went to make tea, and I poured some tea into the cup for her, her china cup. But she always would never. She said she would never drink tea out of a mug like we do in Ireland. And anytime she comes here, she's appalled if you serve her tea in a mug. But she has to drink it in china, and you have to put the milk in first. So I started to pour the tea and she was, what are you doing? Oh, my God. You know, and I had to stop and and give her her milk first and then the tea. Like there's an etiquette that she felt to tea. Do you think that the reason this happens is because uh, the cups, when they were made of porcelain, sometimes they would break. So that's why. But now, obviously, it doesn't matter. And you shouldn't be drinking like tea, like real tea connoisseurs never put milk. It's they find that appalling. Yeah. It's but but yeah, it's because the porcelain broke. So and it didn't. It it if you do that, it it means that you come from a working class background that you couldn't afford really high quality porcelain. Oh, oh I have to say, I'm doing it. I'm doing just for just for I'm doing a course with uh, Jane Pettigrew uh, online. Uh, Jane Pettigrew is like one of the world's experts on 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 tea. So I'm doing. I've always wanted to go to London to do it. I can't go anymore. So I'm doing it online. Uh, it's amazing and she's she's an expert on the history of afternoon afternoon tea so she did an online class the other day where she was teaching us exactly how to eat it and what cutlery to use and it's one of the best experiences I've had I have to say online she was magnificent as a very very affordable experience to have tea online tea with one of the world's experts on afternoon tea. I think the one thing that we've forgotten to mention here in May, I'm looking straight at you when I talk about this, and this comes from my absolute, you know, nostalgic and upbringing of hot drinks, as we've discussed, iced tea. Irish Ooh. people are appalled by Irish tea, by iced tea, but I know that uh, coming from New York, and I, iced tea is so common over there, right? We Yeah, we drink it all the time, and it is it was really hard for me to get through some, my my husband will go, ugh, like when, when I put, because th- I have to make it myself, right? I'm because even finding it difficult to have this conversation. <laughs> mm. um, it's also something that we would, it, um, this idea of ice beverages, though, right? It's when I go back to Taiwan, for instance, right? You know, you have, um, there's one of my favorite things to drink is uh, iced, and D, you're going to, I'm just going to look at your face. It's like a sour plum tea, mm-hmm. which is just just so delicious to have in the summer and you know again it's cooling um but yeah i i generally would i think i love hot tea for sort of romantic reasons Mm. which is maybe why i don't drink it that much in ireland because it's so much like the mug yeah and but iced tea i can drink constantly and i also but then um actually sort of with the blanca thing um it's an interesting thing because my favorite, I realize my, one of my favorite plays that revolves around tea and, you know, sophisticated tea ceremony and what you were talking about, your friend being appalled by, you yeah. know, is, of course, written by the Irish author Oscar Wilde. Yes. Importance of being earnest. I forgot every single act, I believe, 
is chi. Yes, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's well remembered. I forgot about that. Blanca, do you have anything to add on the iced tea in terms of in Spain? Um, no, like in Spain, I, I have to say where the region where my family is originally from or a cold drink of choice would be gazpacho, which horrifies a lot of people. But yeah, because it's so hot. I, I just tea in Spain and even, yeah, we do have iced coffee, but like at home, if you're eating lunch and it's like summer or spring, you'd have gazpacho. It's like so that's I think Ireland and Spain are so different because of that. Like yeah. my husband, you know, he, you know, his family, whatever, would have tea. We'd have gazpacho. How can you mix those two cultures together? It's very hard. I can only come to the conclusion that the reason we don't like iced tea as much is just because of the weather. I think it's, you know, that our that we we associate we have a a complete grow for for Irish tea, you know, a love for it, um, for warm, for hot tea and to sit with somebody, to have a chat with somebody, you know, with your friends. There's it's part of our culture. It's part of our hospitality. And I think that's just the way we enjoy it now. And I think that's just not saying that obviously you can get iced tea here, but I think that's just the way it's always going to be enjoyed. And always with your hands around the mug. Always with your hands around the mug. If you like what you heard or better yet have a question or response or comment to anything that we said today we really want to hear from you so please contact us at instagram at spice bags pod twitter as well as the same spice bags pod or you can email us at spice bags pod at gmail.com This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.